Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. It's great to see you all. Uh, if you're a, a visitor or a newcomer, it's great to have you with us today as well. I look forward to, to getting to know you. I'd like to start our service just by reading a couple of verses from Psalm 100, which is really a call to worship, to remind ourselves why we are here this morning. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Today um, we had the ordination and induction service uh, of our new assistant pastor, Pastor Mark Herbert. Um, it was a great day. Uh, wonderful to meet his, his family and friends and people from the churches in which he's been involved over over the years. Uh, quite an emotional day for Mark, as you'd expect. It's uh, no small task to be called into the ministry. Uh, big thanks to Debbie Kraft and the team for all the catering. Uh, 200 people fed and watered, um, and a uh, great time was had by all. And we'll say more about that later on, but uh, Mark's going to come up now and um, speak to, to the younger guys. So thanks, Mark. Thanks, Neil. Oh, that's very loud. <laughs> I've got quite a loud voice, so you can turn it down. There we go. Um, I'd like to speak to the, the children this morning, okay? So hopefully all the children can see. And what I'm going to do is we're going to act out something here. So if you can't see this little space here, then you can move so you can see what's happening here, okay? Um, I've asked Timothy to come help me. He stood up for it. Right, here's Timothy. Now, Timothy, it's very simple. I'll give you a mic so you can speak to me. Do you trust me? Yes. Wow. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. What I'd like you to do is you're going to stand at the front of the stage and put your feet together like this. And you're going to put your hands by your side. And all I want you to do is fall backwards. No step backwards, just fall backwards, okay? Are you sure you trust me? Yes. Did you look nervous? <laughs> okay. Stand a bit further forward. I promise I'll catch you. Okay, off you go. Hang on. That was impressive. Okay, this time, are you sure you really, really trust me? Are you up to some extreme falling? <laughs> I'm going to catch you again, but it's a bit further, okay? Here we go. I'll catch you. Very good. Well done. That's quite amazing. We, uh, we cracked up before the service, and he really does trust me now. <laughs> Young people, when you go out in a few moments' time to your groups, you're going to be looking at an amazing story from Joshua chapter 2. And in that story, God is going to help you to understand why you can trust him. Timothy was able to trust me, uh, because I promised him that I'd look after him, I'd catch him, that he wouldn't get hurt. That he knows that I'm trustworthy because we've practiced before. And in your groups, you're going to learn that God is good. Just like I wanted to catch you because I care about you and I didn't want you to get hurt. So much more, God cares about each of you, young people. You're going to learn that God is good. It's an amazing story you're going to learn about where God looks after his people and keeps them safe from his enemies. It's an incredible story. But as you learn that God is good, you're also going to learn that is the reason that we can put our trust in him. So when you come to church and the adults are up the front explaining to you as young people, you know you can really trust in God, I want you to remember this little illustration that Timothy helped me with. He was able to fall back into my hands and trust that I would catch him because he knows that I'm good and I'm going to look after him and I care about him. And if I'm going to catch Timothy, 
How much better is God? How much more does God love you? God is good, and that's why we can put our trust in him. So when you go out into your groups and you have a, uh, your teaching later on, that is the thing that you're going to be learning. God is good, and that is why we can trust in him. So should we pray together and ask God that when you go to your groups, he will be teaching you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are perfectly good, that you know each of us, that you love us perfectly, and you'll never do anything to harm us. We thank you that because you're good, we can put our trust in you. And I pray for all the young people as they go to their groups and learn about this amazing story in Joshua chapter 2 this morning, that they will be reminded that you are good, and that each of them would put their trust in you. Amen. Let's come to the Lord now in prayer. Let's just pray. Father God, we think of that um, passage we looked at yesterday from Philippians, how Paul looked forward to sending Timothy to the church in Philippi. How he had no one like him. It took a genuine interest in, in their welfare because, as you said, most people look out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. And we are sorry ourselves, both as individuals and as church, where we have looked to our own interests rather than those of your Son, and ask that you would forgive us now. We really praise you, though, Lord, that we worship a God who is a sending God, a God who loves to send his Son into the world, a Son who is pleased to come into this world and sacrifice himself for our sakes. And we thank you for the privilege that the church in Bedford felt to send Mark out from there and the privilege it is for us to receive him thank you for the encouragement it was yesterday to hear how you called him into ministry how you introduced people into his life to prepare him for ministry and the circumstances by which you led him here I really pray for him and Seth in the, the early days of their marriage that they would feel the love and support of this church family as they seek to serve you in the work of the gospel. As we look ahead to Mark's ministry, Lord, we also look back and give you thanks for all your faithfulness to Jeff and Hannah over the years at this church and pray for next week's celebration of their ministry. And we just particularly pray for next Sunday evening as the members of this village are invited to the service to come and say farewell. We pray that they would understand why Jeff and Hannah have given their lives to serve you and that through their witness that they themselves will be drawn to following Jesus as their Lord. Help Jeff and Hannah adjust to the changes they'll be facing the days ahead. Help them to listen to you, help them to trust in you and all the uncertainty. Lord, as we think of your world, we grieve today the, uh, the death of the British hostage murdered by uh, IS. Uh, we pray for his family in their grief, their sadness, and Lord, we pray for that world situation, Lord. We do pray that you would change the hearts of these people who want to cause violence and death. We pray for those who are suffering daily under their, their terror. We pray that you would give them strength to carry on, help them to know that you are with them through all they are going through. And Lord, as we think of those we've sent out to other countries, uh, to do gospel work, those we're supporting in other countries. We give you thanks this morning for 
the fatal work of Steve and Matilda for Wycliffe over 30 years. Pray for the work that Steve would have to start on the, the new and New Testament. We just pray to you there is demand for new copies to be printed, that people are reading it, the gospel is spreading. And so we pray for continued work on the translation of the Old Testament. So you give those translators the skill and the perseverance they need to complete that work. Pray for Helen as she goes out to Tanzania and ask that she would go with her, that she would give her the, the skills needed to do that work, to face all the challenges that she will come across, and to be a, again, to be a faithful witness for you in that situation. And all for the family here, we do thank you for Anne and Lyle for their years of marriage together, for all the blessings they received during that time. And uh, pray for their ongoing trust in you, that you continue to bless their marriage, keep them strong and firm together and close to you. And those who are dear to us, Lord, who are suffering at this time, Lord, come to them. Let them know your power and your love at this time. So bless the rest of our service together, we pray. Bless you, may your spirit rest on Mark, uh, particularly if he's not feeling too, too well today. Give him the strength to, to preach confidently in your spirit. And as he opens up your words to us, may we know Jesus more deeply as a result. In his name we pray. Amen. The Bible reading today is taken from Philippians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 11. No confidence in the flesh. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legal righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may be in Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain 
to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. May he bless it. Great. Thank you, Tilly, for reading. Uh, good morning, everyone. Really great uh, to see you all here, particularly if you're here visiting. You're really welcome. And uh, we're looking at an amazing passage of scripture today, and I hope you're excited like I am. Let's go up here a bit so I can do stuff. Um, when you read that passage, particularly that bit at the beginning, you might be puzzled. What is this passage all about? Uh, dogs, circumcision, mutilating of the flesh, uh, rubbish. Um, I want to encourage you, this passage in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to think about four things this morning, okay? This passage is about a fast car. Uh, this is a biography about the First World War. About the First World War. About a CV and about a towel and some sweatbands, okay? So if you're confused about Philippians 3, that's what it's about. Uh, bear with me and we'll get there. Um, as we come to God's Word, though, let me pray and then uh, we'll look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, as Neil has reminded us, we want to be taught this morning by your Spirit. So please help us to understand this passage, the things in it that are challenging, the things at the moment that are very puzzling, and please change us this morning as we look at this together. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> when um, when I, Neil asked me to speak uh, today, the day after the sort of ordination induction, I've been thinking for a while about what I'd love to share with you as a church. I wanted to teach the passage of scripture, but I guess I wanted to take the opportunity too to share a little bit about what's on my heart as I come to serve you in this place. Uh, I think that's important as I start here. And uh, it's amazing really that Ray, who spoke yesterday at the induction service, chose to speak on the back end of chapter 2 of Philippians. Um, coincidence or not, I wanted to speak on the beginning of chapter 3 and it fits perfectly. Um, so, you know, this is God's sovereignty at work, but it's a great passage and I really hope that it will encourage you. But I've been thinking through, um, since I've been here, since the last two weeks, what is my priority for myself as I come and start working here? What is my prayer for each of you? And then as a church, what should our focus and priority be going forward uh, with all the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead? Uh, yesterday at the induction service, I got quite choked up when I was reading um, a passage, uh, a little story from an older man to a younger man when he was ordained, when he said, look, take away everything. The greatest privilege that any human being has is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And that moved me because I really believe that's true. I really do. And uh, this passage really gets to the heart of that, because if you and me are going to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, which is the single biggest privilege that any human being has, there's something essential that we've got to grasp. We can come to this passage and think about what's our priority as a church going forward, and we can think about all the opportunities of stuff we're going to do, particularly with this beautiful building, uh, with new people on the team, with new opportunities and engaging in the community. What are we going to do as a church? But the amazing thing in this passage is Paul takes a step back and he says, there's something actually that's got to happen before you do anything. Do you see it in verse 10? Paul says, I want to know Christ. And that is what I want to speak about this morning, looking at this passage. Do you know him? Do you really know Christ? Because if we're going to serve him and be ambassadors for him, the single biggest privilege of any human being, we've got to know him. Not know about him, but know him. So uh, these are the two questions we're going to look at from this passage. What does it mean to know Christ? And what would it look like to know Christ? And for each of these two questions, there are two answers, and that's what this passage is going to be. The four things I held up at the beginning, 
of the four things that are going to be what we're looking at in this passage together. Here's the first thing. What does it mean to know Christ? It's this. To have a personal relationship with him. Uh, when you, you know when you walk out of the um, graveyard here and you get to tennis courts, you turn right and you walk down the Jersey Road and then you do a left. Just up there on the left-hand side there's a beautiful cottage and there's an Aston Martin parked outside. I don't think anyone here owns it. Does anyone here own it? Okay, there's a beautiful car. Every time I walk up that road to go and visit folks who live up that way, there's quite a few church people, I look at that car and I think that is amazing. I love that car. But there's a massive difference between me walking past that car a few times in a week and saying, that's an amazing car. There's a big difference in that. And if I owned that car and I got in it and I heard the roar of the engine and I sped off down the Jersey Road to be in it. So there's a big difference between knowing about something and saying, well, that's amazing and actually owning or experiencing that thing for yourself. Paul says, if you want to know Christ, you've got to have a personal relationship with him. You see verse 8? Paul is kind of pouring out in praise. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, he's not just speaking theological stuff there. That is the most astonishing truth in the world. Think about it. He's calling the God of the universe, my Lord. That is amazing. Is it true that you can call the God of the universe your Lord? A personal relationship with him. Not a God who's out there somewhere that I can worship. Like an Aston Martin, I walk past and go, that's amazing. But a person I can truly know and experience. Like if I owned that car and I drove it. Paul wants us to truly experience what it means to know Christ, to have a personal relationship with him. So I've been thinking this week, what are some of the challenges to us personally knowing Jesus Christ? And here's one of them. could just be assuming that I have a relationship with him. Maybe because I just come to church every week, I know all the right stuff, and therefore I think, well, I must have a personal relationship with Christ. But what Paul says is, you have to have committed your life to him. You have to truly know him to have this personal relationship. Um, I know some of the teenagers aren't here, but some of the older teens are here. I just want to speak particularly to you, some of the teenagers. Um, many of you will grow up in Christian homes. You'll have the amazing privilege of having Christian parents. That is amazing. And that's a wonderful privilege. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Because there has to come a point in every person's life where a person makes an individual decision. I want to follow Jesus Christ myself. And I thank God for the way my parents have brought me up but I've come to the decision, he is also my Lord. So I guess I just want to challenge you, if you're a teenager maybe and you've been growing up in a Christian home, that is an amazing privilege. But don't assume that just because you have Christian parents or because you come to church regularly, that makes you a Christian, a follower of Christ. This passage challenges you, do you have a personal relationship with him? Here's the second challenge. This perhaps is more relevant to the majority of us and it's a bit more of a subtle one. I think one of the things that can stop us growing in a personal relationship with Jesus is serving him. What do I mean by that? Sometimes when we've perhaps been a Christian a long time, we can get so caught up in what we're doing now in response to the gospel. And that's a good thing, a zeal for the Lord, wanting to give our life to serve him. But if we are honest with ourselves, we wake up each morning and our priority is what we're going to do. Now, of course, the Bible commands us to live a life of action. There's all the things that we want to do in response to the gospel, but sometimes our service of God can get in the way of our relationship with him. 
And I just want to encourage us that if we're going to serve him faithfully each and every day, we've got to keep growing and fostering our relationship with him. It's not that I trusted him back then and now it's all about what I do for him. It's about every day walking with him, keeping in step with his spirit, learning what it means to walk in a personal relationship with him. How do I know Christ? It's about having a personal relationship with him. Now, maybe you're here today and you know deep in your heart you don't yet have a personal relationship with him. Can I just say to you, please, 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 don't just assume that Jesus Christ is who the world says he is. Please don't just dismiss him because your friends might have, or maybe you've had a bad experience with the Christian faith, or you picked up some stereotype and think, well, that's what a Christian must be, I don't want anything to do with that. Because when you truly come to understand who he is, you will want a personal relationship with him because he will captivate your heart, he will capture your heart and you'll want to know him. I just want to leave that with you as a challenge. Don't dismiss him based on hearsay. Seek him for yourself and you will find him and he will capture your heart. What does it mean to know Christ? It's to have a personal relationship with him. It's not about looking at that amazing car and saying, wow, that's incredible. But it's about experiencing driving that car, living in a relationship with him. That's the first thing that Paul says. This is the second thing he says in this passage. If you really want to know Jesus Christ, it involves total surrender. Uh, this, this book here is called Six Weeks. It's uh, a book about the First World War. Uh, I went over to the Western Front, the Somme, with my mum a few weeks before I got married. And we went to a place called Beaumont Hamel, where my great-grandfather fought in the First World War. And he commanded loads of the troops over the top. And this book uh, recounts a number of the diaries, entries of the soldiers and their men. And I read this when I was away on honeymoon. It's a really moving story and account of the First World War. Something struck me as I read that book. On loads of the pages in that book, uh, as the diary entries are in, what amazed me is the loyalty that the soldiers had to their commanding officers. The day they went over the top and gave their lives, it's because they were completely and utterly committed to their superiors. And it's amazing to read that book because the relationship between the soldiers and their commanding officers became so strong, the soldiers would do anything for them. And there's some really moving accounts in that book. If we want to know Jesus Christ, we've got to be totally and utterly surrendered to him. Now, I meet a lot of people today who, it seems, I'm guilty of this too and I have to correct my own heart, but it seems often that people want Jesus Christ to be their saviour, but not their Lord. See, I want to know the depth of the forgiveness he offers me, but when it comes to it, I really struggle to forgive those who hurt me. I want to have the eternal security that the gospel gives me. I know exactly where I'm going when I die, and I love that. But if I'm honest, I'm not really prepared to give up my material security, the stuff that I surround myself with that gives me a sense of confidence in myself. Now, I want to know the joy of the love that he offers me. But when I'm faced with difficult relationships, I don't want to work through those, work hard at them. I want Jesus to be my saviour. I don't want him to be my Lord, to take over my life and to lead me in every area of my life, to take control of every different area of my life. But do you notice, if you look back at chapter 2, do you notice when Paul is sort of pouring out this amazing prayer or praise about Jesus Christ, he says this incredible thing. One day, uh, verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
that's a reality that one day everyone will say that. But here's the thing. We can easily say, well, I love what Paul has prayed there. Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe that's true. And I can say, and I have a personal relationship with him, because I've trusted in Christ, and I know that I'm forgiven. But if Jesus Christ is Lord, and I say I've got a personal relationship with him, he's also got to be my Lord. Do you see that? I can't declare he is Lord, but not have him as my Lord. And, and keep areas of my life that I don't want him to invade, that I don't want him to challenge, that I don't want him to change. He is Lord, and I have a relationship with him. So he must be my Lord. Now again, and this is really challenging, but I'll ask you, if you're perhaps not sure, is Jesus Christ my Lord? Ask yourself this question. Is there something or someone in your life that's more important to you than him. Now imagine most of our hearts are feeling a bit pricked right now. That's okay. It's a challenge. But I just want to challenge us to think, if I want to have a personal relationship with him, if I want to know Christ, I must have a personal relationship with him to truly experience what it's like to walk with him day by day. And I must be totally surrendered to him. But, but can I encourage you, you know at the beginning of Philippians, one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible is Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, where Paul says, I'm confident of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. So if your heart has been pricked and you say, yep, I do have a personal relationship with him, but I'm not really walking closely with him. Or yes, he is my Lord, but if I'm honest at the moment, there's something or someone in my life that's more important to me than him. Just pray that God will help you to understand, to put him first. He's begun a good work in you if you've trusted him, and he will bring it through to completion. And for a lot of us, that means, bit by bit, surrendering more and more of our life to him as Lord. That's challenging, yeah, but that's what this passage is about. What does it mean to know Christ? It's to have a personal relationship with him, and to be totally surrendered to him. But then Paul goes on, and he says, what will it look like to know Christ? And this is what he talks about. Total dependence. Uh, this, the third thing I showed you earlier is uh, my CV. Now, we all have one of these. A CV basically tells people about who we are, uh, our education, our background, the qualifications we've got, the skills we've got to offer. You, you don't really write a CV to brag or be arrogant about who you are. You just tell people, your potential employers, this is who I am. These are the skills I have to offer. Are you interested in employing me? That's a good thing. The challenge is, are you a CV Christian? Is that what you're dependent on? If you look at the passage, you know when Paul starts chapter 3? There's an interesting little phrase he begins. He says, I am writing the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. So presumably what he's about to write comes as a bit of a warning because for whatever reason, we're tempted to forget that what he's about to teach. So what he's about to say now is a safeguard for your heart and for my heart. Am I a Christian who is completely dependent on him? And look at this. This is quite difficult, these words. I'm going to try and unpack this. It's quite complex. But look at verse 2. He says here, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now don't worry, he's not talking about animals there. I'm going to come back and explain those difficult verses. But he says, watch out. And suddenly in this letter, Paul's been quite pastoral, and suddenly he kind of gets quite animated, almost angry. In your translation, it probably says, watch out for, and there's a list of things. But in, in the original, that phrase, watch out, is one word, and it's repeated, because Paul's trying to drive home, watch out for those dogs. 
Watch out for those men who do evil. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. Now I'm going to explain what those things are, but he's saying watch out. I'm writing these things as a safeguard for your heart. This is what he says. Just look to verse 3. He says, For it is we, this church, the church in Philippi, who are the true circumcision. He's talking now about the true church. He says, This is who the true people of God are. Those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, the true people of God are people who are fully dependent on him. But the difficulty Paul is facing is some people are coming into this church in Philippi and they're trying to teach these Christians something else. They're saying, it's all very well you trusted in Christ for your forgiveness, but the stuff that you've got to do to be right with God, you've got to start do other things for God to really, really love you so he can really use you. It's kind of a gospel plus. Trust Jesus, but dot, 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 dot. And that's really what verse 2 is about. It's all very complicated, but essentially in the Old Testament you've got two groups of people You've got the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, and the Gentiles, who are everyone else. These were the people who belonged to God. When Jesus Christ comes, he breaks down the division between Jew and Gentile. Now, anybody can know Christ on the basis of faith, trusting him. But these Jew and Gentiles, these Jews were coming along, some Jews, to this church, and saying, it's all very well that you put your trust in Christ, but you've also got to become Jewish. And then you can be a kind of a real Christian. And Paul says, watch out for these people, don't listen to them. I'm writing this as a safeguard for you. Dogs there isn't a reference, as I said earlier, to animals. The, some Jews used to use dogs as a term of contempt for Gentile people. Oh, dogs, they're not the true people of God. And Paul here was kind of biting irony, says, actually, for some of you Jewish people, you are the dogs, because you think you know God, but you don't know him. Because for you, your whole focus is on what you give God, what you do so God is pleased with you, you've missed the boat completely. Faith is about trusting in Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 9? Paul makes this really clear. Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, the good that I do, the things that I offer God. I am made right with God through faith in Christ. It's a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. What does it mean to know Christ? It means to be totally and utterly dependent on him. And to drive this home, think about the CV for a moment. Look what Paul says in verse 4, the second half of it. Paul basically says, look, I'm not bragging, I'm not arrogant, but let me explain to you, I actually have the perfect credentials for trusting in myself, if being a Christian is about trusting in myself. Just look at this. And he goes through a whole list of things. If anyone, verse 4, has reason to put confidence in the flesh, that means to trust in their own abilities and what they give God. He says, I've got more. And then he lists a whole series of things, kind of like a CV. Now maybe those things don't mean a lot to us, I'll just give you an example of what perhaps a couple of them mean. Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, well that probably means not a lot to us. In the, pe- the people of Israel in the Old Testament, on the eighth day after a, a boy was born, he was circumcised, it was a sign that he belonged to the people of God. Well Paul says, I did that. He's like saying, it's his equivalent of saying, I went to church since I was a little boy. And he later comes along and says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That probably doesn't mean much to us. Benjamin, though, was a very significant tribe that gave Israel their first king. So it became a very significant tribe. And Paul says, well, I was from that tribe. It's like him saying, 
I've always gone to the right church. I've been a member of LCBC all my life. Uh, another example, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have Hebrew parents. I'm a true Israelite. It's like you and me saying, I've got Christian parents. And he has all these credentials that he could trust in. And he kind of lays them all out on the table. Look at all the stuff that plays to my advantage that I can give to God so that I can serve him. But this is the amazing thing. You see verse 7? But, whatever it was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He uses a kind of uh, language of commerce. Imagine he's in the marketplace and you buy things and you sell things, you make profit and loss. And he gets all the stuff that he could have confidence in. His background, the church he's gone to, the parents he had, the things he knows, the things he's learned, the good that he's done. He piles it all off on the table and says, this was all to my profit once. But then he sweeps it all aside and says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss. It's still good stuff, but I don't depend on it anymore compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What he's basically saying is, I used to trust all this stuff. This used to give me my identity, my purpose, my self-worth. Now Jesus Christ has captured my heart. He is who I trust. He is who I love. He is who I'm going to follow. And I'm going to do all that in full dependence on him. It's amazing. And he says in verse 8, a couple of times, I consider them rubbish. You, you think about your gifts that God has blessed you with. They are amazing things and God wants you to use your gifts to serve him. But he wants you to use your gifts, not to depend on them. And there's a huge difference. What does it look like to know Christ? It, it's to be fully dependent on him. Trusting in his righteousness. Trusting in all that he has done for you. That becomes the foundation from which we then serve him, not the other way around. And finally, what does it look like to know Christ? Total commitment. I think some people sometimes become Christians and then they kind of just kind of sit, up, sit down and chill out because I've trusted in Christ, I know I'm forgiven. Nothing that I do now can stop him from loving me. I'm secure. I'm not being flippant with these things, this is the truth. If I trust in him, I know I'll be in heaven. But we kind of sit down in the chair a bit like this, once we become Christians, and we just cruise. And life just gets very comfortable, and yeah, we come to church, and we give a bit of our money to support God's work, but our hearts aren't really in it. But the thing is, Paul says actually, the Christian life is more about getting to the gym, putting on some sweat bands, and putting a towel around our neck, and saying, now that I'm fully dependent on Christ, now that I have a personal relationship with him, now that he's my Lord, now I'm going to work hard with the gift that he has given me. Not to prove myself to him, not so he loves me more, but because I'm so captivated with him and I love him, I now want to grasp for him. And this is what Paul says. Total and utter commitment. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The amazing thing is, the more deeply you know Jesus Christ, the more prepared you will be to give up everything for him. But if your heart is not captured by him and you don't love him, then you're only going to be serving him because maybe it makes you feel better about yourself or because you feel you ought to in a sense of duty. But when your heart has been so transformed by his love, 
you'll want to give all of your life to serving him, total commitment because it's worth it it's not worth holding on to anything and giving him all of my life but this little bit it's worth just giving him everything because your heart has been so captured by all that he's done for you but you know, perhaps you're a person who says I really want to be more bold in my witness with my friends I want to speak of Christ more what you most need is not to come to a course about how to share your faith with Christ that might help what you most need is to know Christ better because when you know him better you'll be able to share him more easily and with greater joy uh, maybe you need some help with being more generous you, God has blessed you with an amazing job and you have the ability to make money and it's a great skill and gift and you know that you want to be more generous with what you have what you need is not like a pep talk from a pastor about it's great to give more so we can do more as a church you just need to know him better because then you want to give more and it will be a great joy to do so there might be something in your lifestyle you think I, I want to give this over to Christ and I'm just struggling well, what you need is not a conversation about how to change your behaviour you need to know him better because then it will be a great delight for you to change your lifestyle to serve him more wholeheartedly if you just return to the beginning when I was thinking through what I wanted to say to all of us as a church what's the priority for me what's the priority for you what's the priority for us as a church going forward it's what Paul talks of in Philippians chapter 3 knowing Jesus Christ more deeply and more really what does knowing Jesus Christ mean well it's having a personal relationship with him not just looking at this amazing person and saying wow but experiencing what it's like to follow him what does it mean to, have to know Jesus Christ it's about being totally surrendered to him I'll do anything for him because he's given me my life what does it look like to know Christ it's to be totally dependent on him not trusting in the things that I can offer him but using them in response to what he has done for me total dependence and what does it look like to know Jesus Christ total a commitment giving my whole life to him because he has given me my life Just as we close, can you just look at verse 11? It's a funny verse that's tagged on the end. Paul has written all these amazing things and then he says at the end, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Some commentators and people get really confused with that somehow. They think, well, Paul's sort of lost his sense of assurance. But if you read verses 12 onwards, he's completely and utterly confident where he's going. That somehow isn't a kind of doubt. Oh gosh, if I give my whole life to Jesus, hopefully, maybe... I'll get to heaven one day that somehow is an expression of humility an expression of so continuing to marvel at the truths that he's been expressing he never becomes familiar with them and my prayer for each of you and for myself is that whatever happens going forward as a church we will all grow to know Christ better because it's only from a relationship with him when he captivates my heart that I can then go out and serve him and that's what Paul was on Paul's heart that's what's on my heart and I pray that is on what each of your hearts as we go forward uh, please do stay for some refreshments after it would be great to uh, spend some time together if anything that we've been thinking of this morning is particularly challenging please don't just rush away and, and get on with the day um, stay behind and pray with someone talk with someone there'll be a group of people in the corner here you could pray with uh, it's a great song isn't it all I want all that I used to build my life on all that used to be so important to me I want to surrender it all 
because the best thing in the world is knowing Christ. Um, but don't just rush away and allow that truth to disappear. I encourage you just to continue to think about what Paul has challenged with us. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would help each of our hearts to grow to know you better each and every day. We pray that our service of you would flow from a relationship with you. Please, would you recapture our hearts for you if our hearts have grown cold. If there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, I pray that you would show yourself to them, that you would capture their heart for the first time. Help us, Father, as a church, in all the challenges and amazing opportunities that lie before us, to put you first. We long to know you as our Lord and our Saviour. Thank you that in the person of Jesus Christ that is made possible. So we give you our hearts now, Lord, and pray that you would bless the rest of this day. Please allow these truths not to be taken from us, but allow them to sink deep into our souls, that we would each grow to know you better. And we pray that in the name of your precious Son. Amen.